University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. This morning we're finishing the series on the Gospel of John. We've been talking about signs in John's Gospel. And just to remind you, signs in the other Gospels, we had talked about the first three Gospels, which are called the Synoptic Gospels because they share a lot in common. John is different in a lot of ways. He almost writes in response to the other three. And he sets up a series of miracles that Jesus does as signs, as things that are meant to show the world then, the people who experienced it, and us later as we experience it anew, to show us something new about God, to show us something about who Jesus is, and very often to show us something new about ourselves. And as we've heard several times in this series, it's important not to get so wrapped up in the sign and the miracle itself. It's what the sign is pointing to that we need to really pay attention to. We've heard some fascinating stories through this series of Jesus' miracles. And through this series, through these different miracles, Jesus is challenging the people he meets and challenging us 2,000 years later as we encounter these stories to look at our world and to look at God and to look at ourselves in a different way than we have before. In fact, as we conclude this series, I think it's a perfect way to end because it's all about seeing or at least about thinking that we can see. If there was a sign for today's sermon, it would be this one. You'll see why in just a minute. I'm going to tell you a story, and I want to see if you have experienced something like this too. Just after college, um, I was going to do, I can't even remember what the occasion was, but I was going for a physical, and part of the physical um, that I had to do for uh, whatever it was was that I had to go to an eye doctor. It was the first time that I had been to an eye doctor outside of, you know, just as a child getting eye checkups and stuff like that. And I thought everything was fine, but it was required, so I went. Have you had this experience before? The first time you go, or even after you've gone several times, you sit down in that chair, they make you look through the thing at the little house in the distance, and they move it, and you're like, what in the world are they doing? They puff the air in your eyes, and then they sit you down in the chair and put that thing in front of you, and they start clicking lenses down. Are you, are you familiar with this experience? Those of you who have been there before, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I can see those letters more clearly. I had no idea that my vision needed to be corrected. And it's really minor. I use glasses for reading and computer work and things like that. But through the years, I've had that same experience of sitting in that chair thinking, everything's okay. I don't really need to see things any differently. And then click, 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 click. Wow, what a difference. Have you had that experience before? I think almost all of us have had one something like that before. And it's, it's funny, and we kind of smile at it because it's a familiar experience, but it's also something that can be very dangerous. I had a friend who told me several years ago, the first time he went to an eye doctor like this, the doctor was surprised um, that he had not been before and said he's almost legally blind in one eye. He says, it's, it's amazing that you haven't gotten in a car accident driving with your eyes like this. So being able to see is crucial to us in today's world. Not being able to see, there's not a problem with that. I mean, there's no judgment about people who are visual, vision impaired. Um, we find different ways, but it's understanding what we can't see that is most important. It's okay not to see, but we have to recognize that we don't see. And that's what we're going to find out as we look at today's scripture passage. Just a moment. I'm trying to find myself here. When it's night and the lights are out and you're walking through the house, what do you do? 
it's dark. Do you just walk quickly like you do when you can see normally? You walk around all your furniture and stuff? No. You walk carefully because you can't see. It's more dangerous when it's kind of half light and maybe you've forgotten that you left that laundry basket there by the sofa or you left that box in the hallway and suddenly you trip on it and you, or you stub your toe and you probably have some choice words to say about that. The dangerous place to be for us, and Jesus is going to show us this in a minute, is to think you can see when you really can't. Like when I had a car accident a few weeks ago, uh, there was somebody stopping in front of me. I wanted to change lanes. I glanced in the mirror. Everything was clear. I changed lanes, but everything wasn't clear because I didn't look over my shoulder to check the blind spot. I thought I could see clearly. I thought I understood what was going on around me, but I really didn't. In today's story, you're going to meet some people who think they can see, and by seeing, we mean understanding. They understand something clearly, but they really don't. And Jesus does not condemn them, but Jesus has a warning for those of us who think that we can see when we really can't, because very often there's something waiting in the blind spot that will hit us before we know what's happening. So let's listen and see how Jesus uses this moment to teach us what it means to see and to be blind. We're going to be reading the whole story. This is from John chapter 9. If you want to read along, you're welcome to. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because it reads very much like a story. As Jesus was walking along, you'll see little references in here, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And John reminds us that the pool of Siloam means scent. You'll have to forgive me this morning. My tablet is not wanting to work with me. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some of them said he was, and others said, no, it can't be, but it looks just like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? He told him, the man they called Jesus made some mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Just a little aside, that's against the Sabbath laws. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God because he's working on the Sabbath. But the others said, How could such an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about the man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe that the man had been blind and now could see. So they called in his parents and they asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. 
And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this, not this Jesus. Again, my tablet is not working. I may have to switch methods here in a minute. I apologize. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Now, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to those who think that they see, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees were standing nearby, heard him, and asked, Are you saying that we are blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But because you claim you can see, you remain guilty. Jesus, as we look into this story this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes. Show us where we have been blind and where we are still blind. Show us new ways of seeing you and new ways of seeing our world. For we ask it in your name. First, we have to acknowledge there are some things in this story that we have a hard time understanding. And it's a long passage. We don't have not that much time this morning to delve into all the details. But there's some strange things here in this story. One of the first things that jumps out to me is that Jesus just kind of approaches this man. He and the disciples are walking along. The man is sitting there begging blind. The man doesn't ask Jesus to heal him. He doesn't, uh, and Jesus doesn't come to him like he did with the paralytic a few weeks ago when we talked about it and asked him if he wanted to be well. He just did it. So that to me is one strange thing about this because usually in the signs and in the miracles, somebody asks Jesus to do something. But here the man is almost kind of like an innocent bystander. Second, when Jesus heals this man, it's amazing that he can see, but do you notice that Jesus almost makes life harder for him by helping him to see? The Pharisees cast him out of the synagogue. That doesn't mean they just kind of kicked him out that day. That means they excommunicated him. They expelled him from fellowship. For a Jewish person, that's a pretty hefty consequence just for being healed. Third, there's the method of being healed. Jesus spit and mud and eyes and going to wash, it's just weird. And there's nothing about reading the original Greek or Aramaic that's going to help us to make sense out of that. It's just something that we're going to have to be content not to know. And that's part of the story, is that we don't see and we know that we don't see. But Jesus' words are important for us to hear because I think we often find ourselves in the place of the Pharisees thinking we see and understand, but really, we are blind. 
I want us to look this morning at three different groups of people in this story who think they can see they are blind in some way, but Jesus points out and shows them some way that they really cannot see. We'll start with the disciples. Who's, they ask Jesus, whose fault is it that the man was born blind? Now, I don't want us to get pulled off course by Jesus' response. Um, I don't believe Jesus is saying that God made this man blind just so Jesus could show off and do a miracle at this point. I think Jesus is saying that God can even take our woundedness and the things that are wrong with us and bring about something good. But we don't have time to delve into that this morning. That's a different sermon. What I want us to see is that the disciples were blinded by their way of seeing the world. They thought they understood things clearly, and that blinded them to having a deeper understanding. I'm really going to have to get this tablet fixed, y'all. I'm sorry. Anybody want to hum the Jeopardy song while I try to get it to change pages? The disciples are blinded by their idea that when something bad happens, it means someone must have done something wrong. Now, this is an age-old idea that keeps coming around. It's an idea that persists because we want to make sense of the world when something bad happens. I want to say this again. This idea persists even today because we want to be able to make sense of the world when something bad happens. A faithful Christian person suddenly comes down with stage four cancer. Why would that happen? We don't want to believe that the universe is random. We want there to be a reason, so we try to find a reason. Maybe this person was faithful and they looked like they were a good person, but really they had some kind of secret sin and, and God was angry at them and so God gave them cancer. And suddenly we are trying to make sense out of the world, but it's only a mirage because sometimes good faithful people get sick and then you have people like Francisco Franco or Mao Zedong who die peacefully in old age despite the awful, awful things they did in their lives. This is the kind of reasoning that the disciples were using. And let's be honest, it's uncomfortable to have these views challenged. We want the world to work in certain ways. We love certainty and we want everything to make sense. But very often the things that we are most convinced of end up being wrong, sometimes with awful consequences. I'm reminded of the story of Galileo Galilei, the 17th century Italian astronomer. You remember him, don't you? More than just from the Queen song. But uh, he, in his day, you remember everybody believed that what? The Earth was the center of the universe. And he proved very clearly through his experiments and through different things that he did that the Earth was not the center of the universe but that the sun was actually at the center of the solar system and the earth was revolving around this. Now today, this is an accepted fact, but you remember who Galileo's most vocal critics were in that time? The church. The church said, this is wrong. We read the scriptures and it says the sun rose and the sun set. And so this can't be right. Now today we accept this as fact, at least most of us do. But Galileo and his, uh, the other astronomers laid it out quite clearly at that time and the church did not want to believe it. In fact, they held on to that for several more decades before finally they came around and began to understand things the right way. They were blinded because they thought they could already see clearly, but they couldn't. Sometimes, like the disciples, you and I are blinded in the ways that we see the world. And the fact is, no matter how well we may understand things and may think we understand why things happen the way they do, there's always something new to learn. Jesus came to help us see the world more clearly, but first we have to recognize that we're blind. 
Now, the second group of people in the story that I want us to look at is these neighbors and the people who knew the man. Remember, he went out, he went and got his eyes washed off, and he could see. And so suddenly, this man who had been sitting uh, or being led around the city all by, by, by other people all of his life, suddenly he's walking around and looking wide-eyed at everything that's going on, and they couldn't believe it. Some of the people may have grown up with this man. They knew him from birth as the boy who couldn't see. He couldn't read in school. He may have been the object of all tricks and pranks and things like that. And as he grew up, he became the man who couldn't see. It's the label they put on him. And he couldn't work. So what else could he do except to beg? He had to rely on the generosity of other people to take care of him, to feel sorry for him. Sorry enough that they would give him coins or food or whatever he needed. And now suddenly, here he is, walking around, interacting with the new world in a new way, and seeing. And what's their reaction? Hey, there's Bill. He was always blind, but now he can see. It's amazing. No. Most of them couldn't believe it. That's not really him. It's just someone who looks like him. Because they could not imagine a different story for this man than just the blind guy. We see this several times in Jesus' miracles. There's someone who has their label. There's the blind guy. There's the guy who couldn't walk. There's the crazy man who lives in the cemetery. There's the woman who committed adultery. And when Jesus heals them, people just can't believe it. They thought they knew this person's story. They thought they understood them through and through because they had a label. But then Jesus changed their story, and the people don't know what to do. You remember the crazy guy who lived in the cemetery? You remember that, that they crossed the sea, and he was you know, in chains, broken chains and everything in the cemetery. And then Jesus made him whole and well, and he was dressed and in his right mind. And the people from the town came, and what did they do? They were like, Jesus, you need to leave. They weren't amazed that this man had been changed because they couldn't imagine a different future for him. But Jesus did, and Jesus could. And this is sometimes where we're blind. In the same way, it's easy for us to put labels on someone. It makes it easier for us to deal with someone if we give them a label. Those guys are the troublemakers, or she's the one who always complains about stuff in the church. The labels can even be good labels sometimes. She's the missions lady, or he's the one who's always fixing the building. These are not bad labels, but they're still, ba- they're still labels, and they keep us from really getting to know people sometimes. When we think we see a person clearly, when we think we know exactly who they are, we tend to think they'll never be able to change, and we miss having a deeper relationship with them. We already know them. We can write them off. We don't need to learn anymore. When we see a label instead of a person, we are blinded by that label. We think we see them, but we really don't. Because we think we can see, we don't bother to look and see if that label is really correct. Usually we cannot imagine a different story than the one that we have already assigned to them. Has this ever happened to you? Are there people in your life that maybe you've just kind of written off? They are who they are and they're never going to change. Maybe you can't imagine a different story for them. But God can. Have you even maybe given yourself a label? Or maybe taken one label that somebody else has given to you and you wonder if you can ever truly change? Maybe you can't imagine a different story for yourself, but God can. Jesus came to help us see other people and ourselves more deeply. But first we have to recognize that we're blind. The final group that I want us to look at this morning is, of course, the Pharisees, the classic bad guys. They always get a bad rap in the gospel. They're always lurking in the background, watching for Jesus to do something wrong. They're the nitpickers, the stuffy rule followers. They follow him around just waiting for him to mess up and to do something, always challenging him. 
And we love to pick on the Pharisees like this. It's easy to make them the bad guys. But if Jesus were here right now, I think he'd remind us that we might have blinded ourselves to them in a little way. Because in the world of the Pharisees, God was a strict rule keeper. And they saw the history of the people of Israel as a story of a people who kept making God mad by disobeying the rules. So they did what they could to be obedient in every area of life, every single area of life. Now, yes, they were rule followers, but this is the way that they understood God. They saw God in this way that made him this accountant that was checking off the list and making sure that everything was done right. And in their thinking, if the whole nation would just follow all the little rules that God had given them, then God would finally start blessing their nation again. Sound familiar? Some of the Jewish people were so convinced of this fact that during the Maccabean Revolt, which happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, the land of Israel was occupied, and this family called the Maccabee family uprose. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. Um, but they were so intent on keeping the Sabbath that when an enemy attacked them on the Sabbath day, they refused to work by picking up their weapons to defend themselves. They were slaughtered, a thousand of them. They were trying to keep the rules. They were trying to make God happy by keeping the rules. And that's why they don't like Jesus. They don't like Jesus because Jesus sees things in a different way. Now, I'm oversimplifying the Pharisees for time's sake, but you can see where I'm going. They're blinded by their way of seeing God as a universal accountant, wanting to make sure that we follow all the rules. They refused to see God differently, and it affected the way they did everything. There's several stories of Jesus healing people on the Sabbath day. You almost think that he's maybe doing it on purpose, waiting until the Saturday just to make sure that he makes them mad. And maybe he was, well, maybe not trying to make them mad, but trying to show us a different way of seeing God and what it means to honor God on the Sabbath. Because a God who cares about us doing the right thing, but God also cares about life and wholeness and health. Jesus came to show us a different way of seeing and relating to God. It was a very different way from the way people saw God in Jesus' time, and it made the Pharisees so uncomfortable that they wanted to kill Jesus. You can't change God. We know the truth, and you're wrong, they would say. And I'm not just talking about this way of seeing God. The story of the Bible and the story, really, of all of human race since then is the story of human beings learning new ways to understand God. It's been happening for thousands of years, but usually we don't want to understand God in a different way. We want to be certain. We want everything to make sense. And that's where we run into problems because we think we see clearly, but we're human. We really can't. Sometimes you'll hear people say that the opposite of faith is doubt. And I don't necessarily believe that's true. I think there are a lot of things in opposition to faith, but I think one of the biggest things in opposition to faith isn't doubt, but certainty. I wanna say that again. I think one of the biggest things in opposition to faith is not doubt, but certainty. Because when we believe we're certain, we believe that we're absolutely right, that we have the handhold on God and we know exactly who God is, then we've blinded ourselves and we don't even know it. It's common today. It's as common among evangelicals as it is among mainliners, among liberals, as it is among conservatives, among pro-choicers, as it is pro-lifers, pro-gay rights and anti-gay rights, and the list goes on and on and on. We think we know who God is. We think this is what God must think, but we really are blind because we're refusing to understand that each of us is blind, really, to who God fully is. We've made the same mistake as the Pharisees. 
Jesus came to help us see God more clearly, but first we have to recognize that we're blind. So we've seen this morning that there are lots of people in this story who are blind. In fact, maybe you noticed it, but the only person in this story other, in G- other than Jesus who seems to th- see things clearly is who? The blind man. Isn't that ironic? The man who was blind sees and understands Jesus more clearly and understands God more clearly than the Pharisees, than the disciples, than the people around him. And John, I think, is pretty, uh, the, the writer John was very clearly um, understood this irony. But what's the point of all this? You've heard me preach often to know that you know that I love for sermons to be practical, to make a difference for us. And I don't believe the lesson of this story is not to be blind. Jesus encounters blindness all around him in the story, but he doesn't say, don't be stupid. That's not true. The first lesson of this story is to recognize that we are blind. And in some ways, we always will be. The lesson I learned from the first time I went to the eye doctor was simple. I need to keep going to the eye doctor. Now, to any optometrists who are out there, you're welcome. Free advertising and job security for you. Because the fact is, in human terms, our vision doesn't get any better. We have to keep going back and seeing how our vision needs to be adjusted. In spiritual terms, we are used to calling God the great physician. And this is true, but I believe we should also call Jesus the great optometrist. So the first lesson I believe here is to pray, Jesus, show me where I am blind. It's not a question of if we are blind. We most certainly don't understand everything. Rather, the question is, where am I blind? And the second lesson is to come to Jesus and be willing to see in new ways. We find this theme all throughout the gospel, like the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Jesus and Nicodemus wanted to understand things. And what did Jesus tell him? You must be born again. You have to go back to the beginning as if you don't understand anything and start from scratch, or the Jesus, times that Jesus told us that we have to become like a little child, or the illustration of new wine bursting through the old wineskins. The point that Jesus continues to make is that we don't understand everything, and we never will. We have to keep coming back again and again and being willing to let Jesus challenge us. So in this last sign, as we finish this series on signs in John's Gospel, Jesus is showing us that we have to be willing to be blind, to see the world through new eyes, that we need to keep learning new ways to see because it's when we think we've got everything figured out that we're in the most dangerous place we can be. Jesus, thank you for showing us new ways of seeing. Thank you that we can come to you again and again and again and like going to the eye doctor, you can help us to see more clearly. Help us to recognize that we are blind, that we don't understand everything, to have the humility to approach the world, to approach other people, and to approach you in ways that we see and understand that we don't know at all, that we still have something to learn because we always do. Thank you for this lesson. We pray in Jesus' name.